Lord's Day that we'll be uh, reading, Lord's Day 49, having to do with the third petition, Your Will Be Done, the petition of the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll read Psalm 10 in the first place. Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes steadily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is King forever and ever. The nations perish from His land. O Lord, You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline Your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So far from Psalm 10, let's also turn to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord through the prophet Micah. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. 
But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So far the word of God. In response to what we've read and as we reflect on what we've read, let's sing also from what we've read from Psalm 10. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as you know, in the last weeks we've been working through a series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer. And the reason that we do this, we we write sermons on the Lord's Prayer um, instead of just you know one sermon for the whole prayer or a simple reading of the prayer, is because the Lord Jesus gave us this prayer as a teaching model for our prayers. The purpose that the Lord Jesus had was not simply that we would, uh, we would have a prayer to be able to recite, but rather that we would understand what the prayer means and have those same petitions written on our very hearts so that whenever we pray, uh, these would be the heart's desires, our deepest desires for which we cry out to God Whatever words we use, the goal is not to recite it word for word, but to understand it and pray it from the heart. And that takes some some sermons. It takes some working through them and understanding them. Now we saw in the first, uh, very first sermon in this series that the Lord's Prayer consists of two main parts. Uh, the first three petitions have to do with God's big global purposes for the world. His name, His kingdom, and His will. And the last petitions have to do with our small place within God's plans and purposes. The daily bread that we need to keep serving Him. The forgiveness that we need to live in relationship with Him, and the help that we need with our temptations. Uh, And and one of the things that I've, I've really been wanting to emphasize over all these sermons is that it is God's grace to us that the Lord Jesus set the prayer up in this way. Because it's so important, but also so liberating to be able to begin with God's sovereign plans and purposes. To start there, and only when we've spent time there, to go to our place within those plans. Because it orients us. It gives us the broader perspective. Uh, it's, it's so liberating to, to remember uh, that yes, God hears those, those concerns. God knows our concerns, but that our lives are also part of something much bigger than ourselves. God has global purposes of which we have the great privilege of being a part. Even in the midst of all our trials, our needs, our sufferings, yet we recognize God is using us for His purposes. And that certainly is one of the reasons why, God, why the Lord Jesus put those petitions first, to give us that sense of perspective. Uh, and, and so we may and we should allow ourselves to be caught up in those global purposes because that's where we find our life and our life's purpose. Uh, it gives our lives a context. Uh, with that being said, let's turn to the third petition, which is the one we want to focus on uh, this afternoon. Um, starting back in uh, Matthew 6, this is where Lord Jesus gave us this prayer. 
Let's just hear the prayer and or the petition in context again. So it says, Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does the Lord Jesus mean when he teaches us to pray, Your will be done? I want to start by explaining what Jesus almost certainly did not mean. Uh, one of the ways that this prayer is most often misunderstood is, is people think of it as essentially some sort of resignation to, to the secret sovereign plan of God. Um, this is because when the Bible speaks of the will of God, it, it can refer to two distinct uh, things. Um, sometimes it's referring to what we might call God's secret will, which is God's own sovereign plan, the, the purposes that God has in His mind not all of which are revealed to us. Uh, so, so we sometimes say things like, nothing happens outside of God's will. Is that true? Well, certainly that is, uh, that is true. God is sovereign. Nothing happens outside of His good plan. But the Bible also talks about God's will in a different sense, which we can call God's revealed will. And what this is, is the things that God has declared uh, are good, the things that He wills for us to do. And, and this is where, where He say, this is my will. This is what pleases me. Go and do this. It's a different sense of God's will. Uh, so we can say, if we look out uh, over the world, we can say, on the one hand, nothing happens outside of God's will. And yet, on the other hand, there, there are a lot of things going on that go against God's will. You hear the distinction between the two ways we're, we're using the word will or God's will. So the question is, which one of these is the prayer talking about? When we say, your will be done, what are we praying for? Is Jesus teaching us to pray, God, accomplish your sovereign, perfect plans. Do what you have set out to do, because what you have set out to do is best. That's one way you can interpret the Lord's Prayer. Or is Jesus teaching us to pray about God's will in the other sense? In, in other words, God, there's a lot of things happening in this world that go against your will. Uh, change that. Make people begin to obey your will. It's a very different prayer. Now, both of these are also biblical prayers. Uh, for example, take the, the first one. Uh, the prayer, God, God, accomplish what you have set out to do, your, your sovereign plan. Is that a biblical prayer? It, it certainly is. In fact, it's one we hear from the lips of the Lord Jesus himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to the Father, uh, Father, if possible, please take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. She's talking there about revealed will or, or, or secret sovereign plan. Uh, there he, he seems to be talking about God's sovereign plan. Uh, in, in other words, he was praying, God, right now I'm looking at the cross and I don't want to go there. It's terrible. I can't bear the thought of it. And yet, you have a good plan and purpose. And so I want your will to be accomplished because I know that that's best. It's a good biblical prayer. It's a submission to the sovereign will of God. And it's a prayer that we pray as well. Uh, Luke 21, 
Luke writes about how, how Paul had made up his mind to go to Jerusalem. And Luke and all the other missionaries were urging him not to go to Jerusalem because they knew what would happen when he got there. He'd be arrested and, and possibly killed. Uh, but Paul had made up his mind. And so Paul says in verse 13 to, to, the, the other, to, to his fellow colleagues, he, he says, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then, and then Luke writes this. He says, And since Paul would not be persuaded, we ceased and we said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Now there, is it talking about revealed will or, or secret will? Well, secret, right? Nobody knew what was going to happen to Paul. They, they simply said, let God do what will be best. Uh, they were able to let Paul go and leave it into the, the hand of God. So sometimes we, we need to pray this. Lord, I don't know what your purposes are in, in my life. I'm in agony and I don't know why you've put me here, but I know that you're good. So let your will be done. It's a prayer that, that we all ought to pray. It's submitting ourselves again to the, to the sovereign will of God. That's why uh, James also teaches us uh, when we make our plans, we should be careful to, to remember to say, Lord willing. It's two simple words, but significant words uh, for Christians to speak. Uh, I will do such and such, Lord willing, if God allows But I want to make the argument that that is not what Jesus means in this prayer. When he teaches us to pray, your will be done. That in this case, Jesus is not referring to God's secret sovereign plan, but here his revealed will, his commandments, in other words. The things that God has declared will please him. The, the most obvious reason why, why we know that this is what Jesus means is, is right there in, in the petition itself, um, in how he finishes the sentence. The, the petition goes like this, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's an assumption here that your will is not right now being done on earth the way that it is being done in heaven. And so we're talking here about this earth and about the revealed will of God for people, for human lives on this this earth. And we're saying, right now, this earth doesn't look like heaven. God, make it so. Change the way that people live. Grant that all people would do your will. Uh, And it matters that we rightly then make this distinction, that we understand what this prayer means, because then suddenly we we begin to grasp the heart of what Christ is teaching us to pray for. And we also start to see how this fits in the context of of the prayer uh, as a whole. This is a prayer for this earth, for the here and now. This is a prayer that looks around at this world, and recognizes what what stares all of us in the face, that right now, in so much of the world, including right here in our own lives, God's will is not being done. So it's a prayer that recognizes that painful truth, that there is real, terrible evil in this world, and it exists within the hearts of human beings, and it is wrong. It is not okay, and it needs to come to an end. 
Now, how many of you read the news or, or watch the news on, on TV and, and, and you, you almost come to a point where you just have to turn it off because it's unbearable to see some of the evil that is being done. Uh, you, you just can't bear to see more bombs being dropped in, in one country or the, the children suffering and the brokenness and, and the sadness. Uh, how, how, how many of us can bear to think of all the evil that happens in this world? Uh, uh, I saw in the news a few weeks ago that uh, there, were, there were a number of prison officials in Russia that were being uh, investigated for torture. Um, and, and the only reason that they were being that they were arrested and being investigated is because uh, they were caught in a video. They had recorded it by accident on their badge cam, and somehow it leaked and went viral uh, in Russia. And, and normally I stay far away from these sorts of news articles because they, they have an effect. Uh, I'm sure many of you understand this as well. Uh, you see these sorts of things, and that video was there in that, in that news article, and it's the sort of thing that, that just makes you bow the knee to God, and, and literally I wept as I read it, as I watched a bit of it. And, and it's things like that, that that make you cry out to God, have mercy on us, and grant that this evil comes to an end. Uh, you see it in, uh, in, in news, news articles you read. You see it sometimes, or you, you experience that sometimes even in movies uh, that you watch. You can't watch Hotel Rwanda or Schindler's List uh, or, or other movies like that without crying out to God, this world is broken. It can't stay this way. And, and that's what makes this prayer such a beautiful prayer. It looks out and recognizes this world can't stay the way it is. It's not right for this world to be the way it is. And we shouldn't need to witness such horrors or read, them about, uh, read about them in the news to make this our daily prayer. It's a prayer that should come out of a love for the goodness of the will of God. Uh, for those who love God, it's an honest, heartfelt prayer. God, right now, things are being done in this world that are abominable and detested in your eyes. Things that you hate, that your anger burns against. So grant, O oh God, that these things would come to an end. That evildoers would be stopped in their tracks. That Satan would be crushed and that this world would be changed. Now, because you know, O oh God, more than any of us, how badly this world needs it. That's what this prayer is all about. And again, that's, that's what makes this prayer so beautiful and so precious in the Christian life. It's the honest recognition that things are not okay in this world. Uh, that evil is not just a, a part of life that we have to accept. Uh, it, it's a prayer that, to put it another way, it's a prayer that cares enough about the righteousness of God and a prayer that cares enough about this world to cry out to God and to not give up hope, but to keep on working and praying for the day when things will change. Now, this is a prayer that refuses to give up, that says, as long as God's will is not being done, my heart will keep on crying out to Him for this world to change. It's a precious prayer in the Christian life. Um, when you understand that meaning of the Lord's Prayer, you can also see how it's, it's directly related to the second petition. Uh, I know this was several weeks ago, but I'm sure you remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, that sermon on, on your kingdom come. Uh, when we pray your kingdom come, 
if you recall from that sermon, remember, we're not just praying for some distant future reality. We're praying for right here, right now, on this earth, that Christ's kingdom would be established here, that the gospel would go forth, that hearts would be changed, that, uh, that the church would be established, and that the kingdom of darkness, Satan's forces, every evil government, institution, school, business, whatever it be, would be utterly crushed or utterly changed. That every force that opposes God would be crushed and demolished. That Christ would reign here in every place on, on this earth. And, and that the gates of Hades, you remember the promise of Christ, the gates of Hades are not going to withstand His church. And that's a prayer that the church that would then go forth and those gates would be broken. Um, and, and the natural outworking of that would be that evil, the doing of evil in all of its forms, would also be brought to an end. If Christ's kingdom comes... Christ's will will also be done. Um, and, and so if the kingdom comes, then God's will will be the rule of our hearts. In fact, that's the very definition of, of the kingdom of God. Wherever his, his will reigns, there is his kingdom. Um, and you, so you can see that these two petitions are, are really two sides of the same coin. And in fact, I would argue they are, are really one petition. There are really only five petitions in the Lord's Prayer, and these two are, are part of only one petition. Uh, you can see that in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It is from Luke 11, verse 2 through 4. So just hearing the Lord's Prayer again from, from Luke, uh, Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Do you notice something missing in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer? No third petition. And I don't think that was just an accident that Luke forgot to mention that that petition. But rather that Luke understood that the third petition, your will be done, is really an elaboration of the second. If your kingdom comes, your will will be done. Uh, so, so that is what we're praying for when we pray your kingdom come. We're praying that this world would be transformed by the kingdom of, of, of Christ, by the gospel of Christ. As people come to know Christ, their hearts, their lives, and of course all that they do would be changed. And, and brothers and sisters, if you think about it, this is one of the oldest prayers of God's people. And you find it throughout Scripture. That's why we also read from uh, Psalm 10. It's the recognition that this world, and all too often our own hearts, are bound up in sin and evil. And not only is it uh, horrible and, and, and destructive to ourselves, but worst of all, it's grievously offensive to God. Uh, how many times don't the saints in Scripture cry out, How long O oh Lord, will the wickedness reign? Uh, that's what we sang about in, in Psalm 10 a, a, as well. Why do you stand far away? And then Psalm 10 describes all the evil that the wicked do and, and finishes with that cry, uh, O oh Lord, punish them. Break the arm of the evildoer. It's, it's stop the evil that happens in this world. 
It's a precious prayer. It's a prayer that recognizes this world uh, is, is not the way it's meant to be. It's not to be taken for granted that evil reigns in this world. Uh, it's a recognition that, that sin has made this world a terrible place to live. And there are places on this earth that are as close to hell as one can ever get. It's the recognition that that's not right. I hope you understand uh, the, the heart then that this prayer uh, comes from. You, you feel it when you uh, read these, these, these news stories or, or the accounts of suffering in places like Syria and, and Yemen. I've been in contact with a, uh, a friend from Yemen uh, who's, who's going through just the worst misery as he watches hospitals and schools being bombed and children dying of starvation. There, there are more children dying in star- of starvation in Yemen than anywhere else in the world right now. Uh, and, and when you think about it, when you step into those shoes, your heart begins to beat with this prayer. Your will be done, O Lord, because it's not being done right now. It's the recognition that, that uh, not only does sin destroy our lives, but it also uh, destroys our eternal future. That, that sin puts us under God's wrath, and many sinners in this world are destined there. And it's a, it's a prayer that cares about them as well, that cares about those who, who, who live a life of evil and then pass on into the night of hell to be never, uh, never to be rescued again. And it's a plea to God. God, change that. Let that stop. Turn the lives of people around. It's the, saints, it's the prayer of the saints also in heaven. Uh, Revelation 6 Uh, speaks of the saints in heaven crying out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It's one of the oldest and one of the most eternal prayers uh, of Scripture. Uh, And so hopefully then we can understand why Christ teaches us to put this prayer here, uh, this petition here at the beginning of our, our prayers before we even get to our own private concerns. This is what the world needs for the will of God to be done. And, and, and knowing that puts all of my own needs, my own sufferings into perspective. What this world needs most is not for me to be delivered from my various trials. What this world needs is the will of God to be done. And that's something that I can begin to do, even in the midst of of my many sufferings and trials. Um, David Wells, a professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, he put it this way. It's a beautiful uh, summary of this prayer. He says, What then is the nature of this prayer? It is, in essence, rebellion. Rebellion against the world and its fallenness. The absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. The refusal of every agenda, every scheme, every interpretation that is at odds with the divine norm as originally established by God. He also writes, As such, it is in itself an expression of the unbridgeable chasm that separates good from evil, the declaration that evil is not a variation of good, but its very antithesis. 
It's the recognition, in other words, that evil, real, objective evil exists in this world and must be stopped. It cannot be accepted as much as the world would have us accept it. it's, it's, It's a cry, then, of a broken heart that recognizes the brokenness of a broken world. Uh, As the psalmist in uh, Psalm 119 says, this is verse 136, uh, he says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. That's what this prayer is all about. And brothers and sisters, we need to be praying this prayer. I think one of the reasons we, we don't pray, uh, at least this is, this is true for me, why, why I often don't pray this prayer, is because it's also emotionally hard to carry the burdens of the sufferings of the world in our hearts. Uh, most of it is just unbearable to think about, and we don't like to spend time thinking about the evil that exists in, in this world. And so we often sort of retreat into our, our own shells, uh, into our own private concerns, our own private lives, and, and try and just forget about the agony. And, and it is agony that the world is going through right now. Uh, and, and sometimes we give the excuse even that, you know, I'm not God. I can't do anything about all the evil and suffering that's out there. So I'm not going to bear that burden on my heart. Well, no, you're, you're not God. You can't solve the suffering of the world. But you are disciples of Christ. And if following Christ means anything, surely it means having the same burden of compassion and pity for a broken world, uh, combined with a hatred for sin and a love for God's righteousness, to carry that burden with you every day, to cry out to God for this world, that His will is not right now being done here. Uh, To cry out to Him, God, bring your kingdom to this broken, suffering world, and grant that your will would be done here, because you know how much we need it. Uh, And perhaps if we prayed this prayer more often, we might also discover that though we are not God, there are ways we can minister to a broken world. We can uh, follow in the footsteps of Christ, caring about the brokenness of others and taking that burden on our own backs and and carrying it in our own hearts. Uh, So Christ teaches us to make this prayer an everyday prayer. Prayer and to pray this even before we get to our own immediate concerns because this puts our purpose, our mission in life into perspective. This is what the world needs, or to say it another way, Christ is what this world needs, and we are in a position to to bring Christ to this world by God's grace. so, so we recognize as disciples of Christ that, that Christ, from, from His safe vantage point, so to speak, from His safe place in heaven, looked down on this broken, fallen world and felt compassion for us and cared about people He didn't have to care about and came into this world to carry the suffering of this world onto His own shoulders. Now He does call us, as His disciples, to take up our cross and follow him. And that begins with praying for this world. Uh, finally, we need to know, brothers and sisters, that this is a prayer that is rooted in hope. Uh, in fact, I say that too, too softly. This is a prayer that is rooted in the conviction 
that God will bring his will to pass in this world. God is addressing the evil that takes place in this world. That's what we saw last time also with the, the second petition, and we, we need to see it again here. Uh, the flip side to the prayer, your kingdom come, uh, is, is your will be done. And we saw last time that Christ's kingdom has come and is coming already now, which means Christ's will is being done and will increasingly be done on this earth. And so we pray this prayer with hope, uh, remembering the gospel of Christ. Christ came into this world, a world of darkness that wasn't doing his will. Um, and he came to live the life we should have lived, to, to do his will. And then to die the death that we deserve to die, so we could be forgiven, brought near to God, and begin to do his will also in our own lives. Uh, we do not believe as, as Reformed people that, that, we, that Christians remain totally depraved. Our, our sinful nature is fallen and is depraved. But we are able as Christians, by the, by the power of God's Spirit, to stop sinning, to bring sin, uh, not perfectly in this life, but to begin bringing sin to an end. We are able to make progress in the fight against sin, for our lives to more and more be a reflection of the will of God. And that's what Christ commanded uh, his disciples to work for as well. We saw this last time as well. When he, right before he ascended, he told his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And what's that all about? That's his will being done. There's only one hope for this world to be changed and for evil to come to an end, for God's enemies to be crushed and and for broken uh, souls, broken sinners to find peace with God and that's through the gospel of Christ that we are called to proclaim to the world. There's no solution for the the, the dying children in Yemen or or the the suffering in Somalia or Palestine or Israel or North Korea uh, or or the dead hearts in the communist government in China. There is no hope for them except that they would come to know God through Jesus Christ. It's the only hope for this world. And, And peace and changed lives will only come through the preaching of the gospel. Uh, but that will happen. That's not to say uh, it, won't, it may or may not happen. It will happen. That's Jesus' promise. Again, remember his, his promise in Matthew 16, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not withstand it. They will not stand against it. Uh, so this is a prayer that God would do, that Christ would do what he has promised he will do. That the gospel would spread as it already has for 2,000 years, that it would keep on spreading, the church would grow, and lives would be changed. That uh, justice uh, would be established, that evil in every form would be exposed. Uh, in, In the words of the prophet Amos, that justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Now the Catechism helpfully reminds us, this starts right here at home doesn't it? It starts right here in our own lives. Grant that we, 
and all men. So this is a prayer for all men, but it begins with us. Grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. We recognize that Satan's kingdom and Satan's will uh, also often exists within our own hearts as well. There is evil there that needs to be addressed in the first place as much and even more than anywhere else. Uh, and, and the reality is that the, the more we mature as Christians, the more we recognize this as well, that there are, there are still areas that need correction, that need growth and changing. So this is a prayer that God would in the first place address the vile, ungrateful, angry, spiteful, selfish, self-worshipping, lustful, greedy, evil that still exists within us. Uh, When we pray, your will be done. Uh, If we know our own condition uh, as we pray that prayer, then there's nowhere we want to see God's will being done more than right here in our own hearts and in our own lives. Uh, We long for God then to also reveal the sin uh, that, that we still don't see. And we long for Him to crush it and to establish His will as supreme in our own hearts and lives. And again, this too we do with much hope. Uh, Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul writes, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. It will happen. You will grow, mature, and change as Christians. And this is a hope that we should hold on to. First uh, John 3 verse 2 as well, uh, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. What a hope that we get to have as Christians. One day, I will see the will of God being done perfectly in my own life. Now, on a a practical level, one of the things this means is that uh, as we pray this, we also want to know the will of God. Uh, And so that means also standing before the Word of God every day, being ready to hear it and receive it. You can't, you can't sincerely pray this prayer, your will be done, and, and then turn your back to the Word of God and say, I'm, I'm not really that interested in knowing what your will is. Uh, it's, it's recognizing there are things that God has yet to teach us. And the will of God being done begins in the will of God being known. Uh, There are sins that that God has yet to deal with, and the way He will deal with it is by speaking to us through His Word. Uh, As as He he teaches, His Word is like a double-edged sword, discerning uh, the thoughts and intentions of the hearts of men. Uh, So it's being there. It begins with being there, standing before the Word of God, with tender hearts, with humble spirits, and, and with open ears, ready to hear what God would speak. It's also encouraging and admonishing one another uh, here within the church. Uh, And uh, on the receiving end, not being so proud as to think that we don't need any encouragement or admonishment. Uh, Hebrews 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, So it means instructing, encouraging, admonishing one another. And it means, as, as, Christ, as Christ himself taught us, and as the Catechism also reminds us, it means also sometimes having to deny our own wills 
in order to do the will of God. Now, obviously that, that means denying our wills when, when our wills are sinful, uh, when, when we desire what is evil. Uh, but I don't think that's the only thing that Christ meant. It also sometimes means denying our own wills when our wills are, or, or our goals and purposes are simply lesser than those of God. It means following Christ as Christ took up a cross that he didn't have to carry to minister to a broken world to whom he didn't owe anything because he cared for them and he cared for the honor and glory of God. And so he, he went out of his comfort zone, so to speak, and, and went and served for the kingdom and the will of God. And Hebrews reminds us, uh, Hebrews 12 verse 2, that he did this for the joy that was set before him. So deep was his joy in, in, in rescuing us and in bringing that honor to God that he was able to despise the shame of the cross, to think it nothing, and, and now he is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, so it means being motivated for us by that same joy, the joy in seeing people's lives touched by the gospel, the joy in, in seeing their lives turned around by the will of God, and, and of course the joy in seeing this in our own lives, being motivated by that joy and that desire that we too would carry up our crosses and deny our own wills and, and carry forward God's global purpose for his, his name, His kingdom, and His will. Sometimes that means exchanging an, an easy life for a useful life. It means giving up comforts or, or stepping out of our comfort zones to be able to help and minister and, and, and especially evangelize to others, to make that a, a serious part of our lives. Uh, it means sometimes denying some of the earthly pleasures that, that we might obtain with, our, with, with a healthy budget and being able to spend much of that on kingdom purposes and using what God has given us to gain things that cannot ever be lost. Of course, it means as parents, as you stand before the Lord to have your child baptized, it means as parents, making it clear to your children beyond a shadow of a doubt that nothing matters more to us than that our children would come to know and love the Lord and that they would devote their lives to serving Him in all that they do. And of course, extending beyond our homes, it means carrying in our hearts the burdens of this evil, suffering world, knowing and caring to minister wherever God gives us that opportunity, uh, praying every day that God would have mercy on this fallen world, would rescue those who are in peril. And, and, and through our frail efforts, whatever we can offer, He would use us to bring an end to the evil that exists in this world so that His kingdom would come and His will uh, would be done. So this is our prayer. This is also our hope as we come before the Lord with a child to be baptized, recognizing also in that moment there is a glimpse of the kingdom of God coming. And, and there is our prayer that through this child the will of God would also be done. Amen. Let's sing in response from hymn 63, stanzas 